Well, hey guys, how you guys doing tonight? Good. Ready to talk about Taste of Mar- Armageddon? Indeed. I just watched it now, just about an hour ago. Yes. I'm going to launch a mathematical attack on you. <laughs> I'll send you to a disintegration station, Rob14. Did you just have a mathematical meal with Charlotte 14? Yes. Yes. Uh, I kid. (laughs) I kid, yeah. According to what's written on the the blog about this one, we we did a podcast ages ago for this one, but something happened to it and it didn't survive. Which is actually all the better because I recall not liking that particular podcast. Mm, okay, so here here's our chance to do it again. Yes, yes. So Eric, since uh, you 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 have something to prove, why don't you start start <laughs> us out with your your overall uh, impression on this one? Well, it's not something to prove. It's just that for a long time, uh, this has been one of my favorite Star Trek episodes. It's definitely in my top five, along with Doomsday Machine, Mirror Mirror, City on the Edge of Forever piece of the action. I, I don't know. I guess I really haven't compiled my top five, but uh, I know this would be in it. Everything about it is just a tremendously well-done story. I mean, it's genuine science fiction. I mean, you could not have... You, you could only do a story like this in science fiction. It's surprising when you find out what's going on, but it makes perfect sense. It is very well plotted. Um, each scene builds on the the previous one, and it, it you know it all propels you toward the turning points and to the ultimate climax of the of the story, which is um, just very well done. the The acting is overall good to quite good. Uh, David Opatashu, who played uh, Anon Seven, I thought uh, did a very respectable job. I mean, he was he was ostensible ostensibly the the antagonist, but he wasn't just some two dimensional asshole. He was motivated. Um, he was, as he stated, he was trying to save um, hundreds of millions of lives, uh, his own people, his own culture. Yeah, I mean, even even the title, uh, "A Taste of Armageddon," that's uh, it, it's compelling. Um, just in that, uh, you hear that title and you want to find out what that's all about. And particularly at the end, um, where Kirk is giving his speech, and even the going out of orbit—it wasn't really a joke; it was kind of a joke, but um, it was it, it, there was genuine pathos there without being preachy, without pretense or, or cheesy glibness, I suppose. But, and, and Kirk says at one point toward the end that he, he's going to end it for them because that's the only way he can see to save his ship and crew. So it's not, uh, it's not a matter of, you know, Kirk being on a high horse and being the advocate for all that is right and holy, he's, you know, he's faced with... But he is. You think so? <laughs> Don't keep going. <laughs> yeah, the it, it's it's just in totality. Uh, it's uh, somewhat like um, 
a, the city on the edge forever in that it encapsulates very eloquently everything that uh, I love about Star Trek. So there it is. Good, good. Um, okay, I'll go ahead and go. Eric, I have to, I, I would agree with everything you just said. It's very, very good episode. One, one that I find, since I often, I, 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 I like to approach the these little reviews we do from a bit of nostalgia because, because we've seen them so many times and at such an early relative ages. Mm-hmm. That it's interesting to to try and remember what you thought of these episodes, but when you first saw them, mm-hmm. and this is one I, I I've always I think liked, but I appreciate it more much more today mm-hmm. than I I did as a youth, and because um, parts of this you know don't have a ton of action in them, and it, again it's kind of middling for that, and a lot of the 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 ideas and things that that we like so much about it now. Uh, were probably lost on me the first time I saw it. Sure. Or were, I was at least kind of bored by it. So that that's really nice when an episode um, has actually builds the more you dig into it and when you approach it with a little more maturity. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy that. And yes, I, I really like your point about um, the Anon 7 character. He, he's, he's well-developed. He, in, in, in a certain way, is sympathetic. Is... Uh, is is not just a generic bad guy, yeah, and is in some ways a a, a good foil for Kirk, mm-hmm. which we don't get that much of. Is, and I, I I enjoy that part quite a bit. Um, what, uh, just a few things that are interesting about it is that the amount of it really stuck out to me this time when I saw it on how long it takes before Kirk and Spock figure out what's going on. That it, and not necessarily their own fault, but the uh, oh, uh, what, what's what's the planet name of Aminiar Seven? Aminiar, yeah. The the Aminians are really cagey with with explaining how this all works. They're 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 just like they're showing them the stuff, and it's like, well, no shit, Captain. This is how we do it. <laughs> you know, yeah. There's just a, there's a, like a minute or two. At, it almost went a little bit too long with 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 that where you where where where. Uh, what's her name is just like like going well yeah 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 <laughs> that, that that's it's kind of odd but uh, it, it it's fine <laughs> yeah it just that stuck out a little bit to me this time um it in this this episode also has the the great line where spock says that there's a multi-legged creature crawling <laughs> on his shoulder <laughs> that's always been a, a favorite favorite one of mine and of course the whole exchange where the, the the leader says you are a barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> the the way the way that dialogue is done is I, I really enjoy it. But uh, I, I I think another thing that I appreciate about the episode though is that which we, we can we can get into is the question about whether whether Kirk is doing the right thing or not. Yeah. Overall and and the 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 role if any the prime directive would fall even though it's not mentioned and. I'm not even sure it existed on the show when this episode was written. I that well, hold on just a second because me. it. Uh, uh, I thought it was introduced in uh, "Errand of Mercy" with the Organians. Um, mm-hmm. Let me check on memory alpha when. Yeah, when, yeah, yeah. That well, while Eric's doing that. Maybe Rob, if you want to jump in, and sure. Give us your um, overall look. I did. Yeah, I did have some 
so I had some quibbles with this episode when I watched it again this time, and um, but they are quibbles, and I, I agree. I also agree with what's been said so far, and that the premise is uh, just—it's a solid gold premise. It really is. It's it's so provocative and and, and original. I mean, I don't know if there's any maybe maybe someone some other science fiction writer had imagined something similar, but it just feel it feels very um, radical and fresh and. And what's a sign, a sign of like a, a fantastic premise is that it ages well, and this one really does. I mean, it, um, I talk about this episode in, when I teach national security law because this episode speaks to the future of warfare. Um, and it, I, I didn't think about this, these aspects of it when, I, you know, when we were kids and I was watching it, but it, um, obviously they're, the, the writers... Well, I don't, I don't wanna know if I want to say obviously, but I... It's part of what's going on is that um, if you look at Star Trek through the lens of the Cold War, right? They're thinking about nuclear warfare, and they're they're talking they're thinking about um, ICBMs and and massive destruction that's launched that's that's carried out at completely at a distance. Um, you know, massive bombing campaigns in the Vietnam War, uh, pilots you know who who were you know, up in the air and weren't weren't really aware of how much destruction they were, um, or at least how many lives they were, you know, taking or what they what sort of damage they were doing. And I think those issues are even more urgent today because now we have drone strikes where where someone's sitting in a in a room basically, you know, controlling some some room in in Colorado or Maryland or you know, controlling a drone that's hovering over Pakistan and and killing someone. And we may reach the point where something not entirely different from this scenario is actually possible, where we can have very, very micro-targeted strikes that kill uh, individuals and don't, you know, but don't otherwise, you know, disturb other, you know, structures or things like that. And um, so, anyway, I, the point of it is that it's a, this is a very, very far-sighted premise and and very intriguing and and rich, um, and, and the episode handles it well, and, and they also, by, you know, they pay a real tribute to the, the idea by having, having the, the character, like you said, be multidimensional, and, and actually argue for, explain, you know, very compellingly why they, they came to that conclusion, that this was the best yeah, way yeah, to do it. Yeah, he's kind of like yeah. Star Trek's version of Robert McNamara. Yeah, yeah, he says, look, like this that. is, you know... Real logical. We have to think about it logically. Like this is what we, this is the cost, and this is the, these are the benefits of it. And um, yeah, like Robert McNamara, he's thinking, you know, what um, about people as as just abstractions and not as. And so there's also and there's other like resonances too that you know like the gas chambers and just all these other things that that are there too, which which just make it. So the pre, I mean the premise is just just fantastic, and and there's also a lot of great. A great mix of humor, of of clever crew, you know, solve problem solving. Like this is an episode where Scotty really shines. Like he has some great, yeah. great moments um, where he 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 figures out he cuts right through um, the bullshit. The bullshit. Yeah, he he figures out uh, immediately that there's something going on with the voice. It's not Captain Kirk's voice. Figures it out. He's he refuses to back down when he's confronted by Robert Fox and. And I will note also that that the Fox character, who you think 
at the beginning is just a complete tool, and he kind of <laughs> is. I mean, he kind of is a big, complete tool, and he and he gets him in big trouble. I mean, I, he's the the whole cause of the problem. But on the other hand, you also see him, like he says, you know, well, I I've, I learned very quickly, and I realized I was wrong, and yeah. he and you sort of see him growing throughout the episode too. So that so even these minor characters that yeah, he he's a big improvement on that that similar character yeah. they had in the Galileo Seven. For exactly example. right. He's he's much maybe they realized that they needed to make or that it would just be a better story if they made that character more multidimensional. Yeah, there, there's one point where. Um, I, th- I think it's near the beginning when when they're saying, "Hey, we shouldn't go into their space. We've been we've been warned away," and blah blah yeah. blah. And and there there's this the, the underscoring the music re- really overdoes it. Oh, with yeah, the Fox character, he's, he just he's, he's he's like starting to tell Kirk what to do. Is like he might as well have a snidely whiplash mustache oh, painted on him. Yeah, <laughs> and there's I mean re- really. Some, the music, some questionable yeah, the music cues the music. are are so over poorly chosen at the beginning of the episode. Like there's and there's a scene where where they they leave Scotty on the bridge to go beam down, and there's Scotty is kind of looking at Fox, and Fox is looking at Scotty, and they're and the music and the music like, cues like they're going to fight, like they're going to fight. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're like dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, so it's one of the things that there, there's a few. There's yeah, those are some of the wrinkles. Wrinkles, yeah. Um, I, I thought the weakest part of this episode was there's too much um, toward the end. I agree with Eric that it, it builds nicely in the turn, to the turning points and in general. And But I, there is, towards the end especially, there's a little bit too much business of um, moving around people because they have crewmen who are dressed as um, as Aminiarans and Aminians. Amenian, sorry, and it, it gets it gets a little confusing. The stage, the, the the sort of stage management of the scenes gets gets kind of murky, and you also um, so the daughter, what's her name? I always I'm terrible with characters' names. Just Which one? Can, I'm character. I'm the daughter. What's her name? Oh, she has a number. Right? Yeah, she's got. What's that? Maya three. Maya three. So Maya three. He, he's of, not her daughter. She's not his. daughter. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm confused. There's so many, maybe so many other episodes in which there's a daughter, a daughter of the leader. Well, it, it kind of reminds me, in a way, of uh, oh, third season um, with. Yeah. Uh, Was not she in Plato's stepchildren? N- oh, uh, oh, yes, she yeah. was the actress. Oh, now I can't remember the one. Uh, yeah, Cloudminders. No, not the Cloudminders. <laughs> um, the one where they kidnap Kirk and take his blood for vaguely oh, yes. meningitis. Um, uh, the Mark of Gideon. The Mark yep. of Gideon, yes, God, mm. I should remember that. But anyway, you know the the Gideonite leader, and I can't remember his name, was a poor knockoff of a non seven. Yeah, you're right. And her situation, her character arc, is just abruptly ended. I don't know if they maybe there was a scene that was cut, but she's left being uh, watched over by Yoma Nakamura. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the last that we see of her. So we don't really see any resolution. Um, so that's a little bit of a, a loose thread that doesn't get tied up. So just a few things like that. that yeah, she she just has this uh, one role to, to again, some uh, exposition and also to try and explain the, the civilians are, are serious about uh, doing their duty in this war. Yeah. 
that she's there to further explain that to Kirk. Yeah, and to put a, a human face on someone who's actually. But yeah, a she does. Of, yeah. She doesn't really. At some point, she's like, "Okay, let's move on." Yeah. Yeah. Stay, stay in your room. So there's a little bit of that state, and and some of the scene, the fight scenes are a little sloppy. Um, where Kirk, so Kirk is defeated by two guards in one scene, and he ha- he actually has a disruptor. Um, and then later on, we see Spock and the other crewmen using the disruptor to stun. And so it's pretty clear that that Kirk could have used the disruptor to defeat those guards without killing them. So there's a little bit of sort of continuity problems with uh, some of the fight scenes. There aren't big ones, but just it, it's not the, there's some unevenness there, and you kind of feel the, so feel that scene feels a little bit forced. Like we need to have a reversal for Kirk, and so he gets he winds up getting sort of knocked out in in hand to hand combat. Yeah, taken yeah. captive again. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit a little bit of that um, stuff. I, th- I feel like doesn't work as well as um, the debates about you know the bigger bigger picture things. But I don't disagree. But as you acknowledge, those are um, minor quibbles. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a mark of a really good episode when, when, when the problems are relatively minor and you really have to look out for them. Uh, you really have to think about it and look for the, the irregularities or inconsistencies because that means that the other stuff, the big stuff, uh, the really important stuff was done well and right. So you, I mean, like, and uh, well, Turnabout Intruder or Spock's Brain or yeah, something right. like that. You know, it's just so ludicrous that you, you know, there's so much low-hanging fruit that you never get to the more nitpicky stuff. Right. You know, and the other thing um, that I agree with that completely, I think it's, it's, it's totally, you're right. Um, the The sort of biggest, and this is a little bit more of a, a gray area, but I'm a, I was a little bit struck by how sort of extreme the rules of their their war were because they and in what in the what would be the purpose of having a rule in which if it, an innocent third party that happened to be in the vicinity was theoretically destroyed meant that that third party should be also put to death instead of just told, well, you know, get out of here. Um, and why that should count, what would be the purpose of that? And it also, it, you know, at, at one point he says that the Enterprise became a legitimate target by appearing in, in Venetian space. And it, um, under, you know, if you, well, I was going to say, if you, if you analogize to the laws of war, you know, in international law today, that's, that's not true at all. A third, party, a third party has not become a legitimate target simply, especially, you know, somebody you're not at war with doesn't become a legitimate target simply by wandering into a war zone. Um, unless, unless there's some... Now, they may become collateral damage, but they are not a yeah. legitimate target by, simply by wandering into the, the war zone. Well, maybe by the terms of uh, international law, but... I mean, in practicality, if a ship enters a war zone, they're going to be a target, whether it's legal or not. And I suspect, uh, with regards to your question of why they would do it that way, um, for one thing, their their um, insistence and being so adamant about uh, being isolationist, 
I think is twofold. One is that on some level they know that what they're doing, the way they're conducting their war is wrong, that it's reprehensible, that it's morally unacceptable. And so they, you know, they don't want to air their dirty laundry. They want to keep it hush-hush. Which also explains why they are so cagey about giving any hint or clues about what they're really doing. As, but as you... Eric, on the other hand, though, they once the cat is out of the bag, so to speak, uh, they're quite proud of it almost. Uh, they, 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 they're like, okay, Spock, you understand, right? You know, that that's you know, it's like... We're we're better than the, these guys. Well, yes, yes, and no. Uh, uh, I can I can see that that interpretation. Uh, on the other hand, once they're found out, uh, maybe it's defensiveness uh, because True. that's what uh, non seven is uh, when he ha- in his quarters. He and Kirk are um, uh, are talking, and actually, if you listen to a non seven, he sounds both desperate and defensive. But um, the the other reason that uh, I can think of for them being so adamant about uh, keeping other ships away, or you know, demanding that if you know if another ship goes into orbit, they're legitimate targets, and you know they can the ship can be destroyed, the crew can be killed, uh, is that um, if they receive aid from an outside party, then that fucks up their. Uh, their arrangement, their system, completely. Or, or, or if if Amini, the Armenians uh, become Federation allies, yeah, and the then Vindicard is not. That that's, I guess that that would at least within their thinking would be be a problem. But yeah, I, it disrupts I see, the balance completely. See that as, those as reasons for definitely legitimate reasons for being isolationist. And that part of it makes sense. But the the strategy for handling. Outsiders, when they do arrive, seems to be counterproductive. And so, hmm. what do you, what's going to happen? So, a ship like the Enterprise, or, or imagine it's a Klingon vessel that wanders through, mm-hmm. and they say, "Oh, you've been destroyed. So we're going to take you all down, and we're going to use whatever means necessary to take you all down and put you in the in the disintegration chambers." Well, what's going to happen next? Is the Klingon Empire well, going to Klingon Empire is going to say, "Well, okay, we just lost a ship, and and they're not going to come down on a social visit." Yeah. So it's it seems counterproductive to to handle an, an intrusion like that, saying, "Okay, we're going to make you part of our game, and we're going to make you a player." So now now they you've you basically involve them in your war, and that's that's the part that doesn't make sense. Well, you know. Uh, Again, you know, Federation, Klingon Empire, Romulans, Gorn, Tholians, whatever. Um, I don't know. It just, I, the only explanation I can see is that they're isolationist for the reasons that we've already talked about. Um, and they're paranoid um, or so adamant about uh, being isolationist, not having any interference of any kind that they're willing to well they try and keep everybody away at at all costs but if somebody does happen to go into orbit or come for a visit then they're going to try to destroy them as quickly and efficiently as possible i i find it also interesting how um 
it's revealed at some point that the earlier Federation ship that visited was destroyed mm -hmm. in this manner. There, there's really no mention of that after we're, we're told of it because we overhear them their their council talking about it, but Kirk and Spock never discuss it again. Yeah, that that's interesting. Yeah, you know, not time for it, I guess, or there wasn't. They didn't want to put that in in, in the um, in the coda or mm -hmm. whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, I guess that would have been um, good to uh, have some other mention made of that, although. You could legitimately make an argument that Kirk and Spock both were a bit preoccupied. Yeah, or that it, it's not important for the immediate story. <laughs> sure. But, yeah, that... Mm -hmm. Although, it was interesting that when the the computerized attack early in the episode in the first act uh, with Anon 7 and his, um, his lackey, talking and look just as it happened 50 years ago and yeah. they were warned right I, I now and back to kirk so one of the things that you could say about this is that once kirk gets the upper hand he could just call the ship and leave but he he, he chooses to uh, go the last step to make sure that they're facing a real war because he believes that it's the right thing to do yeah um, which I, I think you, you, you could argue that that's maybe problematic. Yeah. It, it, it is real interference. There's an episode yeah. in which, and I'm forgetting which one, where Kirk explains that the prime directive applies to, to growing civilizations, and he says this one is Yeah, isn't. he does qualify it, doesn't Which he? one is what, yeah. Is that a private episode? little war? Maybe. It doesn't sound like a private little war, though. No. Um, let me see if I can look that up. Um, yeah, I know though. I know what you're talking about though, because they they have a discussion about hmm. it, which it would have been fascinating to have it brought up within the this one. Although it it, I guess I guess there was already enough going on as far as the discussion goes. But uh, yeah, um, I can't find that. I know I I had had the same thought, Rob. Um, hmm. Or maybe it was. I don't think it was the apple. Maybe it was. Uh, a taste of Armageddon, or not? Uh, a uh, errand of mercy. Oh, it's you know what it is. It's Return of the Archons. Kirk says, mm, which mm -hmm. actually was just wasn't it just a the episode before this one? I, I yeah, believe I it's so. right around In this the, time. I, I, so, as far as production order, it might be. So he says. So he spot someone objects, and he says the Prime Directive refers to living, growing cultures. He says this one yeah. is not. So that was uh, um, which one? Archons. Return of the Archons. Yeah. Ah, okay. So maybe that was the first mention of uh, the Prime Directive. Yeah. Huh, it, it's interesting. Isn't it? So yeah, that, but it's yeah. a, it, it's it really is a, a kind of a morally ambiguous point because uh, you know you can make a case that Kirk was playing God with them. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it was breaking the Prime Directive because they had already achieved space flight. They knew about other civilizations. Mm -hmm. They knew about the Federation. So, um, the prime directive is aimed at emerging cultures. Well, one of the one, of the, I think you could also, if you wanted to really dig into it, there there is an exchange where it's been made clear that Scotty is going to uh, carry out this general order, which involves supposedly you know, basically laying waste to the planet. And it it kind of, it kind of in that in that moment gives uh, an on seven a, a good point that you know. 
Kirk is 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 a violent person, and that humans mm-hmm. <laughs> have a problem with this because you have this general order that you're going to wipe out an entire planet. Yeah, and, and that Kirk 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 is ready to do it. Well, I think the it's, a, it's an interesting choice to, to to put that in there. Well, and I mean, he actually it, it was an interesting. There, there are some conundrums in here. Um, you know, like we, we were talking about, um, was Kirk right to um, destroy their computers and, as he put it, give them back the horrors of war? Was it his place to be making that judgment and doing that? But also, that uh, the, the way he agreed with a non-seven but disagreed with him, because, I mean, uh, a non-seven accused him of being... a uh, a monster and being uh, a murderer and um, a, a killer, and Kirk agreed with him. Well, at least that you know, uh, humanity are killers and murderers, and uh, that we would rather kill than build. And Kirk agreed with him, but disagreed with him uh, because in the end, he said. You know, okay, so it's an instinct, but it's an instinct that can be fought. And that the Amenians are trying to have it both ways. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's an interesting piece of character development for Kirk because, I mean, like when he uh, orders General Order 24, he's pissed off and desperate. And he doesn't yeah, hesitate and, and, to and do Scotty it. And Scotty is ready to... Uh, 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 from what you see on screen, Scotty is ready to carry it out. Yeah, although I I, I wondered when I rewatched it, you know, uh, Scotty's demeanor when he says, you know, what General Order Twenty Four is. Although Uhura's a lieutenant, graduate of the academy, and a bridge <laughs> officer, she sure as fuck would yeah. know what General Order Twenty Four is. Yeah, she has to be explaining that to us. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, now, then again, that Starfleet has that general order. Yeah, that that's interesting because it it that that is a very, a very violent um, directive to have. Very, and yeah. uh, you know, it's... so it isn't just about getting getting the landing party out of there. It's you know, it it it's obviously the sledgehammer approach, and uh, it it's it's pretty thought provoking that they chose to lay out what this was it wasn't just we're going to attack you it is we are going to destroy your entire world yeah that's yeah, something that's that you would see out of uh you would expect to see out of the the empire and the mirror universe mm-hmm. yeah exactly right and well you know uh it, it's uh kind of along with general order seven i believe it is uh from the menagerie that says yeah you make contact with talos for you're dead there's right. some fucked up rules in Starfleet. Yeah. And I know, and, and McCoy is just like, yeah, kick ass, man. Well, you know, and it, it was funny because I, I love the exchange between Scotty and Fox. You know, it, it's kind of uh, like uh, the exchange between Spock and Decker in the Doomsday Machine, where, you know, I'm in charge, I'm giving the orders. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's fine, uh, I'm still not going to do this. And, you know, basically it yeah. was a massive fuck you to Fox, which, uh, you know, everybody... Pop by that and Jay Fox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Pop and Jay Fox. It, it, is, it, is, a, it is one of the, the great Pop Scotty and Jay episodes. Fox. Yeah, it really is. I.e. the Haggis is in the fire now. Yeah, exactly. 
So, do we have any misogyny for this episode? I mean, only really the ending of, of the character arc of... What's her name? See, I don't even remember her Man name. Free. That's, that's misogynist. That they... Yeah. For, Spock assigns a woman to guard her, because she's not... Yeah, don't let her kill herself. Don't let her kill yeah. herself. <laughs> anyway. I mean, it's, it's very minor, but... Yeah. Otherwise, she's an interesting character, and she's... Mm. And she didn't. She wasn't there just as a sexual conquest either. No, there's no. A, a little bit of um, so, you know, Kirk leers at her a bit. But Kirk leers at her. Yeah, music but, cues but it's, or, you know, but, they, but it, it, she isn't convinced. Right. In in bed, he does not. Persu- you're right. He does not persuade her in right. bed. Which. So I, I I'd say it's an overall. It's either neutral or a slight positive. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. If, in the in the Kirk Kirk doesn't use relatively. penis diplomacy. Right. Say <laughs> that should be the name of the episode. The best diplomat I know is a fully loaded <laughs> penis. <laughs> oh. Oh, sorry. This cast just took a short turn to the uh, something. Uh, what will our audience think? Oh, uh, yeah, our audience. Uh, nothing because they yeah. don't exist. <laughs> they think nothing. <laughs> Uh, crickets oh. <laughs> on that note uh but uh yeah despite some uh some relatively uh minor flaws i this still remains a solid favorite of mine uh yeah and it really gets you thinking too yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, it it's does. a good de- demonstration about why star trek endures so much i think yeah yeah the um uh, let me see who wrote this I, i'm thinking that it was uh gene coon just a second here. Yep, written by Gene Kuhn, and he oh. was a World War II vet. And you know, oh. uh, on rewatching a lot of these episodes, I can see uh, the influence. I mean, Gene Roddenberry was, of course, a World War II vet as well as as was Jimmy Doohan. And uh, uh, I can't help but believe that experience informed uh, their writing, and in Doohan's cases, his acting and his attitudes. Because this, the summary of this story is one of Kirk's lines, uh, where he talks about uh, the death and misery and destruction that's inherent to war, and that's what makes it a thing to be avoided. You know, that summarizes the episode. Uh, and uh, in terms of being thoughtful and, and uh, well-presented, it's, uh, I just, it's kick-ass. You guys have Absolutely. any thoughts? That's it for me. Okay. I can wrap this one up. Um, what did I say our next one was? Uh, oh, uh, This Side of Paradise. This Side of Paradise. Ah. Another good one. All right. Yeah, well, that, that I immensely enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> I ordered you to report back to the settlement. I didn't want to, Jim. <laughs> oh. <right>. Okay. Uh, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that one is fun. Watching all the once the the spores infect everybody, the how how they're you know they're basically know. so many good lines. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for another amazing review. Yes, this was a good one. Amazing. I was looking all forward right. to it. Good night, everyone. Good night, guys. <laughs>